Hey, it's Greg Brady. It's the Bill Kelly Podcast. Yeah, it's time for that again. It's Friday, July the 3. So, Bill back Monday, but we had a good show today, so I want you to get the highlights. Robert Hooper joined us. We had to talk about the Red Hill Valley Parkway because we should. It's pretty important. There's two things happening. There's the class action lawsuit going ahead, which is still taking on potential new applicants. And there, of course, is a review by the city as to what went wrong and what they knew. So we'll talk to Robert Hooper about that. We also had a great conversation with Jesse Thomas from Halifax. The Atlantic provinces are opening up their borders, but only for Atlantic Canadians. Okay, if you're in one of those four provinces, you can travel between the provinces. The cases are at a significant, significantly low number. And as a result, movie theaters opening, travel opening, indoor dining on the way. They've got it pretty good there, and they're feeling good about it, and they should. So we'll get a feel for how it's going there in Halifax and in Nova Scotia and in New Brunswick and the rest of the Maritimes with Jesse. Valerio Caprero joins us from Italy. He's got an interesting study. Did the data on masks and masculinity, though COVID-19 is hitting men harder and longer than women. Men are the ones saying no to masks, generally speaking. We'll find out more about the data and his reasoning as for why that might be. And it may finally be coming. The Washington NFL team may consider a name change. FedEx, whose name is on their stadium, is calling for the team to change their name. We do that with the excellent Morgan Campbell, sports writer and sports columnist, but much more than that. Hope you enjoy it. It's the Bill Kelly Podcast for a Friday, and here it is. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. So the Red Hill Valley Parkway class action lawsuit has the potential to go ahead. It's been obviously a case that's had a lot of layers to it. Let's get an update right now from Robert Hooper. He's from Grosso uh, Hooper Law. Uh, Mr. Hooper, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much for making it today. Uh, Thanks, Greg. My pleasure. Tell us, uh, tell the audience, too, what the next uh, steps are. It's been an expensive inquiry so far. The class action lawsuit uh, was filed, uh, you know, the city's facing, uh, you know, a significant issue uh, with it, and that's a lot of money. And the class action lawsuit was filed close to over a year ago. What's the latest with it? So the latest is uh, on June 30th, the uh, representative plaintiffs, which are the Scholler and the Klaschen family, filed their documents, a motion, basically before Justice Taylor, um, who's out of Kitchener-Waterloo and is the class action judge in, in our jurisdiction, to ask the class action to be what's called certified, which simply means allow it to go ahead, that there is a class that have a common issue that should be adjudicated uh, by the courts. And we're waiting to hear from the city on the, uh, with their materials. And there's another, th- this moves forward and there's a public hearing next week. Who can, you know, who can, who is expected to speak and who can speak at that public hearing? So, so it's apples and oranges. So we're, uh, I was going to say driving down the highway, but that's probably a bad example uh, in sure. two different lanes. So the judicial inquiry is driving down one lane um, that's being run by the cl- uh, the judicial inquiry judge. Uh, they're going to give an update uh, both, uh, I think, privately to city council, but I think there's also a, a public hearing uh, coming up. Uh, it might be live streamed um, uh, July 7th is, I think, the day. And so we'll hear about the gathering of documents. Uh, some will recall in January uh, that when the judicial inquiry uh, judge heard from the interested parties, 
Uh, he said that there would be a long process to gather documents. I think the public statements so far from his counsel, Rob Senta, have indicated that that process hasn't gone uh, quite as fast as they hoped for various reasons, including the pandemic, I understand. Yeah. And so I, I anticipate, without any good source, that we will hear that the judicial inquiry will not start this fall as first anticipated. Um, and then on the other lane of the highway, we're heading the class action lawsuit, which is um, also not moved quite quite as fast as we would have hoped. But uh, we will hopefully meet with Justice Taylor um, either uh, by video conference or in person in the next month to six weeks to set a timetable for the ultimate hearing of certification, which we um, are guessing right now will be some sometime in the spring of 2021. Yeah, I was going to ask about the timeline there. Robert Hooper, by the way, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show. Greg Brady in for Bill Kelly. Uh, Robert from uh, uh, Grasso Hooper Law. Let me ask you about that. It's obviously frustrating for crash victims and their families um, that there is this delay. And again, there's there's obviously circumstances beyond anyone's control because of the delay. Um, but at the same time, it does. I don't. You know, I, I think you'd make the case it doesn't minimize their chances for success for the lawsuit. It's just frustrating that they can't get answers and, and can't get what they would feel would be justice until potentially, yeah, we're talking, you know, le- end of the year, next year even. Yeah, hopefully, I mean, it's not, the, the timing does not change the substantive issue um, which the representative plaintiffs have put forward that this highway was um, both built and maintained unsafely and uh, people using that highway have uh, been at risk since 2007, the day they cut the ribbon and it was opened. Um, and then, of course, that's been accentuated since uh, uh, the knowledge that the city of Hamilton, um, at least some parties inside the city of Hamilton, knew uh, since 2013 that the surface ha- had difficulties um, from the get-go. Do you, Is there an expectation that the city tries to suggest their intentions were good uh, and that they hired, obviously, somebody to, you know, deal with the quote-unquote inferior products and they were just let down or deceived? Is there, you know, is there a mechanism where, you know, that's sort of an expectation the city may take that route? I I anticipate uh, not having seen any materials, but just hearing the representations at the judicial inquiry uh, standing hearing in January that um, the parties, including uh, the people who won the tenders through the city of Hamilton, there will be a lot of finger pointing, and it started in those hearings. um, And I'd be paraphrasing, but uh, Mm -hmm. one of the sources said, we just did what the city told us to do. Um, And that didn't seem to be the same position I anticipate that the city will take. So uh, um, I, I anticipate through both uh, lanes of the road, we'll hear both in the class action and in a judicial inquiry uh, about um, who's at fault. Um, and there'll be some finger pointing both ways. I, and that's a guess, could be frank, but yeah. I, I think it's a pretty good guess. And what's, Robert, what's the what's the number of claimants now? And uh, was there a, a shutoff date for people being able to add themselves uh, as potential claimants? Um, everybody continues to be a potential climate. I mean, the class is pretty simple that we're proposing. The class is somebody who was um, have had a loss on the Red Hill Valley Parkway um, since 2007. That could be, um, we, we hear uh, of obviously four significant accidents since the 2013 report uh, was hidden, which were fatalities. There are also people with single car crashes who were injured 
um, significantly like Miss Clausen. Um, you know, the Scholler family lost their um, son and their brother, yeah. but there are also people who were um, either less seriously injured um, but thought they had nobody to blame, that their car just spun out of control on the roadway. Um, there are also people who have a significant financial impact on them because they may have had minor injuries, but they were charged with careless driving. It cost them something to defend the ticket or their insurance went up or they're simply their car was wrecked and they have, you know, a significant loss of thousands of dollars uh, for their car. So there's there's a wide ambit and um, there is uh, there is no cutoff date um, because the class has not been certified yet. Once that happens, people have the right to opt in or opt out. So uh, our office and uh, Scarfo and Hawkins through uh, David Thompson and Matt Milwaukee continue to have people stream in um, uh, on an ad hoc basis. Um, so we're still mm-hmm. um, accepting people and will accept people until after um, the certification hearing. So if there's mm-hmm. somebody who fits that criteria, they're certainly welcome to call or uh, email our office. Robert, thanks very much uh, for the update. I, I wish you the best and, and thanks for the time. Hey, thanks, Greg. Have a great weekend. You got it. You too. Robert Hooper uh, from Grasso Hooper Law. Uh, obviously a story that's been wide-ranging. It's got a lot of layers to it. As he said, there's two things transpiring right now. The class action lawsuit is one thing. The RHVP public inquiry, which has its next hearing next Tuesday, um, as they you know, they, they know that they need to collect as much information as possible to find out why this transpired uh, after the city revealed the, the, the 2013 report with the asphalt friction being very problematic, well below safety standards. And the accusation is obviously there that residents, people driving on that every day, every day, uh, didn't know that it didn't meet the safety standards. Um, And they have a right to to wonder why. They have a right to ask those questions for certain. So that's next Tuesday. I would expect a big update on that uh, with Bill next week in this very time slot. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. They've done so well in the Atlantic provinces, and that's where I want to go here. Today is the beginning of the Atlantic bubble. It comes into effect today. What that means, residents of all four Atlantic provinces, and, you know, if you don't know them, uh, you know, did you go to school? Were you learning online these last few months? All four Atlantic provinces, you can cross borders in the region for any reason. No need to self-isolate, and that's pretty key. And, and importantly enough, they don't want people from any other province. Okay, there's. Uh, we took a drive. Our family did to uh, to Inganish in Nova Scotia. Unbelievable. Like you're right at the ocean. Uh, we did tidal bore near, I think, Yarmouth, and obviously spent some time in Halifax. Halifax was my first ever uh, airplane. Uh, experience going out for the Atlantic Bowl in 1995 when I was doing Western Mustangs football and I fell in like Halifax is just the most amazing city I don't get to spend enough time there and I should point out as well today movies reopening in Halifax I'm looking at the Scotiabank Theater in Halifax on Chain Lake Drive right now and you can go see a flick today and you it's five dollars you got to pick reserve seating um Movies include Bad Boys for Life, the Sonic the Hedgehog thing with Jim Carrey, uh, you know, the Jumanji sequel, first one was tough enough, and uh, a Vin Diesel movie called Bloodshot. What is that? What year is this? Vin Diesel is still the star in mo- What? I, after the Chronicles of Riddick, I gave up. 
Uh, let's bring in our uh, our guest out in that uh, area uh, to give us the latest and about how folks in the Maritimes are feeling about where this is all going. And that's pretty key. Like emotions and, and confidence in, in the consumer is going to be a big, big thing. Jesse Thomas, digi- digital broadcast journalist for Global News, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Jesse, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for making the time to do this, man. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on here. Um I'm just wondering if uh, you folks in Ontario are getting a little jealous right now. We are. Uh, bubble, or, or maybe you're watching closely, but it's kind of a, a monumental day here. Um, I'm just basically positioned right now at the border crossing. I'm in kind of a no-man's land between uh, Amherst, Nova Scotia, and Sackville, New Brunswick right now. And uh, if people want to get an idea of what it looks like, I just posted a video, kind okay. of a panoramic looking uh, east, eastward and westward on the 104, and it's a log jam. It looks like Highway 401, you know. Um, look at that, Ontario. Middle, look at that, yeah, Ontario reference, Jesse. We're pretty of, pleased with uh, that. In the, yeah, yeah, in the middle <laughs> of uh, traffic time, Greg. But uh, I think this is a day that certainly a lot of Atlantic Canadians have had circled on their map because, uh, you know, there, there's this is a kind of an artificial line on, on, on a map, really. Uh, Amherst, and, and Sackville, there's families that I've spoke to who have loved ones on each side. Uh, there's there's business transactions, economies that depend on each other, and yeah. it's been a hard four and a half months. It's basically been a slog for a lot of these people, and uh, there's a lot of happy faces. Um, but as we see the lineups, Greg, there's also a little bit of frustrations right now, but uh, mm-hmm. what I'm getting a kick out of is seeing some of these people now walking along the highway, uh, speaking with one another. It's like you're going to... Uh, uh, the Havelock Jamboree or something there in southwestern Ontario. Uh, it's it's got a little bit of a jamboree feeling to it right now. Uh, yeah, your uh, Twitter account's Jesse Thomas twenty one. You've got some great yep. pictures and, and video up there. And as you know, the common greeting you write is Happy Atlantic Bubble Day. This this was a long time in coming. Um, was there any back and forth? In terms of, and, and I should clarify for our listeners, like New, New Brunswick has three active cases right now. Nova Scotia has one. It's been, uh, again, a remarkable, remarkable job that the maritime provinces have done uh, to get this under control. Well, that's just it. And, and I think, you know, everyone has put in this hard work. And, uh, you know, everyone listened to the chief medical officers of health and, and the messaging. And everyone really wanted to do their part right. But it's been hard. And I think it's been hard on a lot of people, um, especially here in, in some of the maritime provinces where you think of provinces like Quebec and Ontario, big provinces with a lot of land in between. But, you know, there's a lot of commerce that goes back and forth. And there's a lot of, you know, personal stories of people, you know, being separated from their families. And, and we're talking with people today, you know, a young fella saying he's going to see his grandparents. He hasn't seen them in four and a half months. And, uh, you know, so, so the, it, it's... It's one of those days, Greg, you know, that you can't help but feel, uh, you know, a swell of, of pride and, and maybe, you know, you feel good for these people because it's a little bit of freedom in a way, you know, we're, we're getting back to it and people have paid the price. There has been no cases uh, in New Brunswick for nine, maybe going on 10 days today, Nova Scotia. We went three weeks without a case and we've yeah. had a couple now in the last two days that, that are related to U.S. travel. So I think, you know, the, the virus has been diminished and that's played a big part of this. And now people want to kind of get back to, uh, you know, some sense of normalcy. And, 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 and for a big thing, this is also about the economy because a lot of people have been suffering, um, you know, through this. 
Jesse Thomas, our guest, uh, joining us and right on that uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick border, uh, digital broadcast journalist for Global News. It, it, it is a big statement, though, to exclude Ontarians and, and Quebecers. Um, it, it is, look, the, the U.S. tourism industry is a big one also. I, I know there's people there and businesses and cities and communities that count on Americans coming up and visiting in the summer. That's an impossibility, but it, it, was it a tricky call in the least to say no one from Quebec, no one from Ontario these last several weeks? That, that's a good question, and I kind of made that joke at the start that maybe some people are watching this and maybe they're a little bit jealous. Um, but I think, you know, it just speaks to the seriousness of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, you got to think of the Maritimes. There's there's two other provinces, PEI and Newfoundland and Labrador, that that are islands, you know, in their own. And uh, I think that has helped us. We're we're kind of isolated out here. Um, you know, Nova Scotia. This is the only land border that feeds from New Brunswick into Nova Scotia today. So uh, in terms of points of entry, it's kind of a bottleneck. And um, you know, I I, I think. The severity of, of this virus, when we saw it in Halifax, in the cosmopolitan center of of the Atlantic uh, provinces, there were there was uh, you know over a thousand cases and counting now at this point. So I think you know these are baby steps. Uh, many are kind of leading and speculating that maybe Canada will be watching how this experiment goes. Um, it's not often that the Maritimes lead these experiments, but who knows? Maybe this will lead to more of a federal opening uh, at some yeah. point. It, it all really depends on the epidemiology and how things play out, Greg. Um, but right now, cases have kind of diminished, but, but the main message from all healthcare providers is we still have to respect these public health protocols, right? Continue to do the things. Don't get complacent with it. Well, and, and that's where I want to go is, is consumer confidence. And I mentioned, yeah, movie theaters are open again. That might be... That's a step for a lot of people, and and right here in Ontario, even though we have about you know 150 cases a day, many of them are, uh, as I'm sure you've seen, uh, down in in the farm communities in the Windsor Essex area. They're still you know they just advanced to a second stage yesterday. But Jesse, I think you know the indoor dining, I think gyms, I think anything where there's you know indoor gatherings and a lot of noise are are at least for Ontarians. To me, that's where we're a little trepidatious. How do you think Maritimers will feel? Will they say? There are so few cases, this feels so safe that, hey, dinner inside in a movie, the things we used to do on a Friday night, uh, I'm game. How many will say that? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know what, I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, when this thing started, and, you know, I, I called it uh, uh, the pandemic penitentiary. It was my apartment, and I felt, you know, we were all being trained for prison, really, in a way. We were locked down, and uh, one of the big things I wanted to do, Greg, was just go out and enjoy maybe a craft beer and a meal with a friend again. That was something I was yearning to do. Um, but you know, everyone has their own risk that they still have to play into and you have to weigh those. And if you want to go to a movie, I mean, you have to still think about the virus and respect that it is out there in, in, in some form and, and, uh, you know, continue to do those things right now. We're all talking about mass in public and, and, right. you know, we, we're looking at the situation where in the GPA, you know, where they've made advancements. We've asked our premier and the chief medical officer of health in Nova Scotia, for that matter, Dr. Strang, where they stand and everyone's. It's not mandatory. It hasn't been mandated, but they're telling people to wear your masks. And um, it's one thing I found interesting. I was in Halifax on Wednesday, grocery shopping. Everyone was really doing their part with masks. I'm here in Amherst uh, today. I popped into a Atlantic Superstore, and um, you know nobody's wearing masks. So a difference of maybe 200 kilometers, um, but also maybe 
you know, it, it's not a huge center, but uh, to me, that's risky. If I'm in a public place, I'm, I'm throwing that mask on now. So I think, you know, this is a, a day to celebrate this bubble and everyone is excited to maybe reunite with some families uh, that they haven't seen in these four and a half months. But at the same time, I think, you know, this, we're not through this yet. This no. is just kind of uh, another step in, in, in the, the process, if you will. Can you, um, I know people love their basketball in the Halifax, Jesse, can you handle um, 22 NBA teams? Like, can I put your name to Adam Silver and can you handle, can you handle uh, the NBA bubble? Because I, I feel Halifax might be a bit better place for uh, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving than Orlando. I, I feel that yeah. way about that. I remember covering, it was the uh, Canadian University uh, men's and uh, ice hockey championship that was playing out here in, in kind of early March, you know, that week of you know, just after St. Patrick's Day, just before uh, the pandemic uh, state of emergency was called on March 22nd. And they got through a couple games. Western had played Saskatchewan. And then all of a sudden, um, they canceled the tournament. And that was, you remember, the NBA kind of led the ball on that. And so everything started to fall apart. And we had a new, brand new NLL lacrosse team, uh, the Halifax Thunderbirds that migrated here from uh, Rochester. And people were loving it. And uh, there was a, you know, the Mooseheads play here, and they they get, you know, eight to ten thousand fans a night, and, and that's what I want to get back to. But I think I think right now, um, you know what? If anything was to get started here, there's a there's a professional soccer franchise that started up here uh, in that Canadian soccer league, and and, and uh, I love walking home after a shift of work and seeing people walking with their shirts and and their their flags going down to the. To the, to the stadium downtown, and I can't wait until we get back to that day, uh, you know, where maybe we have a vaccine and nobody's worried about this virus anymore. Maybe we can talk about having the Toronto Raptors out here for an exhibition game again. Oh, it'll uh, happen. It, it, it'll it'll, it'll happen season, with, with but, crowds. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if uh, you know, if things continue in the states the way they are, the entire NHL, all 31 teams might be Canadian franchises, and I think Halifax <laughs> will get a team. I, I really do. I think they'll be one of 31 Canadian-based NHL teams uh, in the next couple of years. I'm, I'm confident in that. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a great sports town. I've lived in Halifax for a year and a half now, and part of the reason why I came down here was because of the Memorial Cup being hosted and uh, this NLL lacrosse franchise coming down here, but. Uh, it's it's a great area. I'm excited for all these people that I'm seeing driving by right now. Um, as we say, you know, the the conservation officers are going to be really busy today. There, there's there's ten kilometers like stretches into the horizon of cars backed up of people wanting to move throughout the province already. So um, I'm thinking if you don't have to travel, don't try to cross over today because it, it might be a bit of a, a long slog at the border. But uh, you know, it, we're, we're, this is this is a positive move I see, and I think it'll be good for some of these. Uh, these people, especially that of uh, maybe, you know, I keep coming back to it, but uh, get get them together mm. with your loved ones and, and extending that bubble a little bit as we kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy. Global's Jesse Thomas bringing us the latest uh, from Atlantic Canada. Best of luck. I'm glad it's celebratory. I hope people have a good time. Yeah, the border wait, but we've been through worse over the last three and a half months. Thank you for doing this and have a great weekend. And, and I hope we can have you on again here. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. Totally, man. Uh, Jesse Thomas joining us. That's See, again, people want good news. They want good stories. That's a start, okay? We've got we got our problems, okay? We, got, we look around, and we think, how are we getting to next year at this time, let alone Christmas, let alone September? What are we doing with schools? And that's somewhere I distinctly and definitely want to go a little later on in the show. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The data appears to be in. I can't wait for this segment. Uh, men and masks. We've been talking about masks. This is the first show I've done in, in a couple weeks where we're 96 minutes in counting the commer- counting the advertisements and I haven't talked about masks yet. I've, I've been wearing them since early April. It felt strange at first. Now you're the strange one if you don't have one. But the study seems to be in that men are less likely than women to wear masks. And yes, that's despite every single day I get a video from someone named Karen. I'm not naming them. You are. And she's in a grocery store, a Trader Joe's, a Kroger's, a Farmer Jack. I'm thinking of U.S. grocery store chains. And she's screaming about not wearing a mask. And she's yelling at the employees who have masks on. But I'm not going to argue with data. You can't argue with data. Can't do it in sports. Can't do it in life. Valerio Caprero joins us now, uh, who's a studies author, and I'm very, very excited to have him on. Valerio, thank you very much for making the time. Where am I talking to you today from? England, Italy? Where are you based? Um, I'm based in London, uh, but now I'm in Italy, actually, in Luca, a small town in Tuscany. Very nice, actually. Um, yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm, ha- I'm happy show. to. I thought, I thought your yeah. study was fascinating, and I can't wait to travel in Italy more. My wife and I flew uh, in tr- uh, from London into Treviso Airport, and we were in Venice in right when we were pregnant with our first child in 2005. And it's I watched a, a, a documentary on Venice about a week ago, and it's unbelievable. Um, it, it obviously had mass flooding before the pandemic that was greatly concerning. But Italy's so damn beautiful, and I'm so glad your population seems to have obviously the worst is well behind you, and, and you're doing much, much better after just some tragic weeks and months in February and March, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The spread of the virus now is much slower in some regions like here in Tuscany it's basically we are at zero cases for weeks and that's good but of course people are very scared yeah and for for example here wearing a mask is mandatory so <laughs> there is not this problem of men not wearing masks because everybody has to wear it um, and indeed, coming to to my study, we did find in in the U.S. that in counties where wearing a face mask is mandatory, uh, there are basically no gender differences. So almost everyone intends to wear a face mask. Uh, there are still some slight gender differences, mm-hmm. such that men are less likely to intend to wear a face mask, but these gender differences are very small. But uh, in counties where uh, wearing a face mask is not mandatory, uh, there there are huge gender differences. So men are uh, far less likely than women to intend to wear a face mask. What when, uh, when you when you do the data? I think our listeners would be fascinated. Is there a is there a general reason a man says no the mask isn't for me um, because like I said I, I'm seeing it very very uh, equal where I am but as you said geography and and the messaging of our politicians I think you'd concur especially in the U S has played a large factor in in the slowness to adapting to face masks right. Yeah, yeah. So we try to investigate some of the reasons uh, why uh, uh, there are these gender differences, and we we could find some, some potential reasons. So one is about negative emotions felt when wearing a face mask. So we asked 
people, whether they agree or disagree with statements uh, such as wearing a face covering is a sign of weakness, wearing a face covering is shameful, wearing a face covering is not cool. And we found that men, more than women, agree with these statements. So, so they think that wearing a face covering is not cool or is a sign of weakness. Um, and this partly explains why men are less likely than women to intend to wear a face mask. And uh, uh, another reason we investigated is the um, subjective likelihood, so the perception of getting infected by the virus. So men less than women think that they will be affected by the virus. Um, and if you think about this, uh, this is uh, ironic, if I can use this oh, yeah. word, because we know from uh, official statistics that actually men are more likely than women to die from coronavirus. But still, they think, they believe that they will be less affected than women. And this part explains why they don't use face masks it's a tough one right because uh, you know we and we can do this and and think you know didn't did we as ma- males you and i take more chances when when we were younger than older probably so do we di- do we, do we drive more dangerously possibly so are we more likely are, are is our sex more likely to drive uh, under the influence of alcohol i would bet you those numbers say yes but you're right i was just coming there with um, the fact that this this disease, this pandemic, has been far more deadly for men. Um, it's been far more likely to our, our BC, our British Columbia, where Vancouver is, our provincial health officer. I'm seeing a quote right now. She said near 70 percent of, of admissions to ICU are men. So it just has whether we've been more exposed, whether we're out in in dangerous working circumstances like construction more, whatever the case, it's been more dangerous for men, and many men still aren't getting that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you're right. There is probably a general point here that men are more risk-taking than women, and we see this uh, in a lot of different contexts. Even in with small economic experiments in the lab, uh, but also, for example, on YouTube video, uh, the jackass uh, of men doing... <laughs> super dangerous things and, <laughs> <laughs> and of course and but, and this is dangerous for them of course but also for other people uh like in the case of pandemics yeah it's a it's a it's a massive massive problem now tell me what you're seeing in italy um has there been more an adaptation i know we think look this is all about you know americans and their liberty and their freedom being compromised and men are generally the first to although many women have and like i said we've seen the videos uh you know they they're all universally likely to complain about that surely in europe surely in in you know countries like italy there is far more um you know acquiescing and understanding that you can stop the spread because in the czech republic mass have been remarkably successful um in obviously in the far east it's been remarkably successful but america doesn't seem to be grasping it uh yeah and but i think the key difference here is whether uh wearing a, a mask is made mandatory or not. Yeah. As I mentioned before, in Italy it's mandatory, so you don't 
you don't really see these differences. Everybody's wearing uh, a face mask. So it's, is it, do you have to have it outside? If you're going to your car, do you have to have it outside while you're driving? Right now? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no, uh, only, I think it's very similar. I don't know in Canada, but it, like it's very similar in, as in the U.S., at least in those counties where it's mandatory. So you have to wear it uh, when you are around people outside from your household, when you are um, yeah. engaged in essential activities like in the supermarket or working, Oh, now, since a few weeks, uh, bars and restaurants have reopened in Italy. So when you mm. walk into a restaurant, you have to wear a face mask. Then you arrive to the table. And when after you sit at the table, uh, you, you can take it out. Valerio, thank you very much. I thought your study was fascinating. Uh, I know you got a lot of thank a lot you. of interest in it, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of digging as to why it's the case. But you give the data, and you you tell us it's definitely the case. I really enjoyed reading it, and I enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. You bet. Thanks. Stay well in Italy for sure. Valerio Caprero joining us, uh, senior lecturer at uh, Middlesex University in London, England. Doesn't sound that hard to get into. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, (laughs) how many times do we, uh, you know, men, I mean, uh, like, come on, he's lay, he's laying that out for you, that men are less likely than women to wear masks. And yet we're more vulnerable. We're more often going to the ICUs. We're more likely to die men, men and their life expectancy is less anyway. But in this case here, like, what do you do? Like all, like, like all people like me, people like Valerio, who sounded like, a First of all, the accent was amazing. Second of all, um, you know, he sounded like a very level-headed uh, human being. And all he and I can do is, like, like we just walk around going, sorry for our people who also are our sex. I, I apologize for men in general. I'm so sorry that Caucasian men are like this. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is something that I I just don't think we thought we'd see. And not without NFL pressure, because we didn't think there'd be enough corporate pressure for it to happen. And I want to update you on the latest, because there's brand new stuff. Um, Adam Schefter, great NFL reporter, uh, has this in, and it's a statement from the Washington NFL team. And this is from Daniel Snyder, the owner. This, uh, In light of recent events around our country and feedback from our community... We are announcing the team will undergo a thorough review of the team's name. This review formalizes the initial discussions the team has been having with the league in recent weeks. Here's the Snyder quote. This process allows the team to take into account not only the proud tradition and history of the franchise, but also input from our alumni, the organization sponsors, the NFL, and the local community that's proud to represent on and off the field. Now, you change your name sometimes when the team is moving, obviously, right? And some teams should have done that. The Utah Jazz moved from New Orleans. There's not a lot of jazz musicians in Salt Lake City. There just aren't. I've been there. I, I looked. I couldn't find any. Um, we're very pleased to welcome in an excellent writer. Really enjoy his stuff and uh, really enjoy his commentary as well. And uh, I think we're going to have a great chat on this. Morgan Campbell joins us now on the Bill Kelly Show. Morgan, Greg Brady, uh, great to have you on. And uh, this is really, really something. This is a seismic shift. And I thought about this a few weeks ago, a few months ago even. But I don't think we'd ever thought, like, you, you read that statement, you're like, is that Daniel Snyder, or did he get kidnapped or hypnotized? Because that's not him. 
That's not that guy writing that, is it? No, well, that news is really fresh. Like, I yeah. was reading to get caught up, like, this morning. And, and so that just came out in the time it took for me to get up, come upstairs and do, like, baby laundry. Yeah. But um, it does speak to the amount of pressure from outside the organization that finally the organization feels compelled to respect. When it gets to the point where um, sponsors, where, where, where investors are telling sponsors, hey, stop investing in the Redskins, stop sponsoring the, sorry, the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly they have to listen. And think about the fact that, you know, a lot of these leagues uh, are under revenue sharing agreements, right? So if one team is about to start losing sponsors, that doesn't just affect that team, that affects all the other teams. When you think about it, if a, if a company like FedEx says, hey, we're not going to sponsor uh, your football team anymore. Like that's a that's a that's a major tier one sponsor. And if that sponsor disappears, the whole league is going to feel it. Um, and whatever company, especially if the sponsor is abandoning the team over racism in this moment, you have to think about the type of company that would step in to replace them. It's not going to be as big as FedEx. And again, that costs the whole league money. Um, so it gets to the point where you and your precious history and your precious offensive team name uh, have to buckle to the moment, but also to 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 monetary interest. Yeah, I mean, we see movement here and there, Morgan, but oftentimes there will be something in war, and you'll think like the Atlanta Braves will make the playoffs, and and you'll hear that chant at at a Braves playoff right. game. It's the same damn chant we saw Jane Fonda and Ted Turner doing when they played the Jays in the World Series. So we yeah. haven't made a lot of progress there. We'll see. We'll see the the Florida State Seminole guy come and, and take his flaming spear and stick it at the 50-yard line. So we're not making a lot of progress there. But the Washington, like, again, Daniel Snyder just hasn't put, uh, you know, his sword in the sand. He, like, he's done it multiple times and said, you can try. It's never happening. And I, uh, you know, again, I thought he'd own the team for a lot longer than this before bowing to press. And he hasn't yet. But the fact that he says that today tells me that there's huge movement. Yeah, well, also, when you talk about, like, the, the proud tradition of, of the Washington NFL football franchise, um, this was also, like, the last team in what was then, like, the, in that era's NFL. It was the last team to integrate, last team to hire a black player. Um, and so, and this, is, and, and this is at a point, they were an all-white team at a point when, you know, the rest of the team, the rest of the league was integrated and, and and we're reaping the benefits of having integrated teams. So this is a team. This is a team when watching their all all their opponents uh, sign draft mm-hmm. black players and put up losing season after losing season because they would rather be segregated than keep up with the time. So in terms of like sticking with this outdated nickname, that's actually pretty on brand uh, for this franchise. But the thing is, the NFL uh, probably five or six years ago, like they instituted a rule that governed basically the on, on-field speech of players and said you will get a 15-yard penalty for uttering a racial slur. And it was a rule basically meant to uh, police the way black players talk to each other, saying the N-word, et cetera. But at the same time, you can't have an on-field rule uh, saying outlawing racial slurs when one of the franchises in the league, it's in their title, a racial slur. So that always struck a lot of people as hypocritical. Um, and then just in the current moment, when they had Blackout Tuesday on social media a few weeks ago, and all these NFL teams, Washington included, posted black squares on their Instagram feeds and on their um, Twitter feeds uh, as, 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 as an announcement yeah. that they oppose all forms of racism except 
with Washington, it was we basically what they were saying was we oppose most forms of racism because here our name still is. So again, yeah, what you're seeing is 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 a team, a franchise, an owner getting dragged into the 21st century. Yeah, and and a team that's obviously you know underperformed. I, I don't know whether if they'd done you know they, the, when they drafted Robert Griffin uh, uh, the third, they won the division. He was injured in that playoff game. They lost a home playoff game, but. I do wonder if they had had the you know sustained success like a Patriots, like a Steelers. But it's real easy to to push on Daniel Snyder and say, "Hey, your team sucks. No, you're not selling out your games anymore." And they had a legendary season ticket base that's passed through generations that goes back to the uh, the prior uh, you know racist owner, the guy before Jack Ken Cook. And you look at, at the scenario and say it's pretty easy to uh, you know to dig in on them on the field and off the field. They've been they've been an easy punching bag, haven't they? Absolutely, and and for Daniel Snyder, like this is his one chance to actually curry some some mm-hmm. some goodwill in the public. Like the longer he stands against changing the team name, yeah, the more he looks like he's part of the racist tradition and the racist past instead of the. the I'm not going to call it post-racist because I'm not convinced we're there yet, but a, a, a present and future that finally at this point has a chance to be less racist than uh, we've seen, you know, in previous generations. And all he has to do is change the team name. Because, and again, for all the reasons you pointed out, yeah. Snyder has given so many people, uh, loyal fans and then just football fans in general, so many reasons not to like him, not to respect him. Uh, and this right here, this is this is like a 20-yard a, a field goal from between the hash marks. This is easy. It's a slam. Uh, yeah, it's this is this to me. This is like how people praised uh, Morgan, how they praised Adam Silver when he took over the job. He got given a gift with the Donald Sterling audio yes. tapes. He really did. And it's like, wow, look how progressive Adam Silver is. And I'm like, anyone like they just needed that smoking gun. They knew who Donald Sterling was this entire time. The players knew the coaches yes. knew everybody knew. And like that's that's not. Like you can praise Adam Silver, but anybody would have made the decision to to you know separate him from the team and force him to sell. Anybody does that once those tapes come out. So those are easy calls to make, not the hard ones. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and with, with Donald Sterling, he wound up making so much money because he was able to sell that yeah. franchise at a premium to Steve Ballmer. Right, Steve Ballmer pays a premium uh, to, for for the honor of being the guy that saves the L.A. Clippers uh, from the racist. And you know, Daniel. It, Snyder's given no indication that he's willing to sell it. But I was reading a story in the Washington Post this morning. can't remember the name of the report. It was a really well, thoroughly reported story about all these different forces closing in uh, on Daniel Snyder because the other thing the franchise wants to do is they want to move. They want to move to a new stadium, but they want it within city limits. Um, but at the same time, they're going to have a, a tough time carrying this racist nickname with them if they want new sponsors at this new stadium and if they want government support for this new stadium. So... Like whether Snyder likes it or not, the thing is, this is a, like a, a working definition I use um, for the difference between a racist and a bigot. Like a, a racist will do something will will hurt someone because of the color of the other person's skin. Uh, a bigot will hurt themselves because of the color of the other person's skin. Yeah. Now, Snyder, like the name is racist, and people who accept the nickname that's a, that's a passive form of racism. But bigotry is when I'm willing to cost myself sponsors, cost myself fans, cost myself goodwill over an allegiance to this racist symbol. So we'll see. Well, and and I, I point out, and I want to get your read on this because you're you know you're a former college athlete in the states, and a lot of universities, an awful lot of high schools too. Uh, I want to know if you delineate between 
the the name, right, the R word that they use, and the logo. Because there's a lot of logos, like a lot of people love the Chicago Blackhawks logo. A lot of people, you know, we, we finally got rid of the, uh, obviously, offensive Chief Wahoo for the for the Cleveland right. MLB yeah, team. Forgotten about him. But yeah. a lot, but Morgan, a lot of people are like, we're still, the Kansas City Chiefs are still there, right? The fighting Illini, okay, there you go. Yeah. The fighting Sioux, the, the <laughs> hero, like, I, I played a tennis tournament once in Ypsilanti, and it was the year they were changing from the Eastern Michigan Hurons, which sounds proud, Ooh, that's, to that's... the Eastern Michigan Eagles. They But they went from the Hurons to the Eagles because there was such a flap, and that was 1991. That's where everything was like, hey, that's political correctness. Instead of being like this, this is just right and wrong. There's a lot of things that are switching from wrong to right, not being labeled as political correctness. So do you delineate between the logos of some teams and the offensive names? A few things. You you really dated yourself by saying Eastern <laughs> I Well, I, I could actually play tennis then. I had good knees when I was 20 years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> not the Because I only remember the Eagles, but I am old enough to have played against the University of Illinois uh, for the Sweet Sue Trophy. Right. Yeah. And so S I O U X. So like University of Illinois, eventually they had to get rid of their uh, mascot chief Illini. They got rid of him. Um, the team is still the Illini, but the, the, the big rivalry game in the state of Illinois, college football is Northwestern where I went to school against Illinois. And by the time I got to Northwestern in the mid nineties, the sweet Sioux trophy S I O U X was uh, uh, like a hatchet, a tomahawk. Yeah, um, and basically the team that wins that that uh, oh my gosh. game every year they get <laughs> the hatchet. But and the thing was, it was gradual change because it used to be like a uh, like a wood carving. What we used to call uh, the racist icon that we call a, a cigar store Indian. Right. right. That's what the trophy was before, and then by the time I got there in the '90s, someone had figure out the cigar store Indian is really racist. Let's have a tomahawk. And then in recent years, um, in the last decade or so, maybe 12 years, they got rid of the Tomahawk, and now they play for the Land of Lincoln Trophy. Um, so sometimes these changes come gradually. Like when I was a freshman, we played against uh, Miami of Ohio. Um, they, and yeah, I, I'd relatives go there. They're now the Red Hawks, but they were, the they were, the, R, they yeah. were the R word before that, weren't they? Absolutely. So <laughs> often this change is gradual, but the thing is you notice, uh, and, and there's always – some complaints at the beginning, but you know what happens? People get over it. And you know what happens? Uh, you wind up making a bunch of new t-shirts and getting some new logos and putting a new design on the helmet and on the uniform, but people get over it. It's so if, if you had to guess, if you had to guess what Washington and Snyder does here, because it's I, I went to a game once, uh, working at a game, Giants-Washington, and I go in the store, because I love buying my kids' stuff in the stores, but I couldn't do it, and that's 2000. 11 and I had a I had a team pennant up I I like that team in the NFCs that never liked the Dallas Cowboys so I'd always cheer for this team but you're nine years old and you don't know any better and we all even our parents didn't know any better then but you're right do you think Washington holds the logo but changes the name or do they do a complete you know I don't like pardon the pun whitewash and put something all brand new in I think they're going to change the logo and the name. If there's any year to do it, this is the year because I would be very surprised if there are any, if football happens, if the NFL happens, and I don't think that's guaranteed at this point, but mm-hmm. if it happens, I don't see it happening uh, with fans in the stands. So this is a good year to try some stuff out because you can't say that the uh, the new rebranded logo um, 
cost you merchandise sales. There are no merchandise sales at the stadium because no one's going. You can't say it costs you fans because no one's going. Um, And the thing is, and this is what teams invariably find, like, now, merchandise sales, from what I've gathered talking to, uh, like, sports team executives, are are a smaller... a smaller portion of revenue than most people might think, but it's still there. And so what happens when you rebrand a team is that all these fans that have these old jerseys, they have to buy new jerseys. They have to buy new hats. And so you get a bump in merchandise sales. And Washington should at least welcome that. And the other thing is, because it's a sports team, the thing that solves all these problems is a consistent quality product. Like if you're contending for Super Bowls every year, like fans aren't going to care. Like the people that really root for the team aren't going to care that you change the name. They're not going to, especially they're not going to care that you changed it from a racist name to a non-racist name. They're not going to say, well, you won the Super Mm -hmm. Bowl, but I'm still not watching because you used to be the R word and now you're the uh, Washington fighter jets, but forget it. I'm not watching. It's not going to happen that way. If, they find a way to win consistently. That will solve many of their problems. Um, well, I got about 45 seconds, Morgan. Do you think uh, the Edmonton CFL team has a little bit of a reckoning here? They've had consultations before. They've said same thing. Uh, no plans to discard the Eskimos' nickname, but times are changing. Do they say, you know, we're facing our own? They don't have, you know, they don't have a racist caricature like the Cleveland MLB team. But a lot yeah. of people don't like the name. It is utterly outdated. We would never use that word in school. If a teacher used it, they're probably fired. Um, yeah. so, so we got it on our CFL team. And that is the interesting part because that's a situation where there's a name and no logo and no mascot. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it comes down to uh, money, like sponsorship. And if you know, I, and I'm not sure if the CFL has revenue sharing in the ways that the other, that the other. Uh, major leagues do, right but if it gets to the point where like you're losing sponsorship dollars over this again it's not just you like you as, as an individual team owner you might be willing to stand on that principle and say well i don't care if it costs me money because i love this name but if it's costing the entire league money because you're depriving uh, some sort of revenue sharing program of its revenue then you got to make a different calculation yeah that's exactly it morgan loved our chat today thank you very much for doing this Hey, anytime, Greg. Uh, find him. Uh, find him on Twitter, uh, Morgan P. Campbell. That was great. Um, yeah, he makes a great point because look, N- Native Americans for years said, "Hey," and people who cared about their cause, okay, said, "Change the name, adapt the name, get rid of it." Dan Snyder says, "Nope, never, not happening, never." Like he was adamant. It wasn't like, "Hey, we'll consider it." Hey, we'll take a survey. No, never. I'm not listening. FedEx says, "Change it." Nike says change it, and now he's going to do it. Money talks. It's unfortunate. It shouldn't have to be that way. You should want to change it. You should want to do the right thing and not have financial implications. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.